summer plantings can be a resource for deer managers to help you know buffer those uh, periods when the the nutritional quality of the naturally occurring vegetation starts to decline and, and they, but still provide and hold deer on the property. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and this week we're going to be talking with Ryan Basinger of Westervelt Wildlife Services about planting and maintaining summer food plots. Uh, we dive into the, the benefits of summer food plots, how to prepare for them, what to plant, and how to get the most from that planting. So if you're a food plotter or if you've considered planting a food plot where you hunt, hey, you'll want to stick around for this one. Before we get started, though, this week's episode is brought to you by NDA sponsor Moultrie Mobile. Now, I've been using a Moultrie since back in the days of uh, 35 millimeter film and, and the big D cell batteries, and technology has come a long way for sure. And now their Delta Series cellular camera has, man, it has an impressive list of high tech features, including GPS to help you locate a camera that you might have misplaced or or maybe it uh, uh, walked away, and you can get all that at a retail price of around $100. Uh, they've also got the really cool Moultrie mobile app to go with their cellular cameras that now allows you to, to chart deer activity by time of day, the temperature, the moon phase. You can even break down that activity between bucks and does. Uh, no more need to try to manually enter all that information into a spreadsheet. Uh, I know I'm not the only deer nerd that that has done that, um, but now it's all right there at your fingertips at the touch of a button. So if that interests you, be sure to check out their cameras and their app at MoultrieMobile.com. One other thing I want to make you guys aware of is our upcoming first ever NDA Day of Giving, and that's going to take place on May 11th. So please mark your calendars for that. As a 501c3 nonprofit, uh, the National Deer Association relies on memberships and, and donations from folks like yourself, along with our corporate partners, to be able to continue our, our work towards our mission. So this is going to be an important day for us. Uh, incredibly, we've already had somebody step up and agree to match all donations made on May 11th, dollar for dollar, up to $50,000. So we are extremely excited about our, our giving day. We hope you'll consider, if you're not already, becoming a member of the National Deer Association and making a donation to help us ensure the future of wild deer, wildlife habitat, and hunting. And with that, guys, we're going to go ahead and jump on the phone with Ryan Basinger to talk all about summer food plots. Hey, Ryan. Well, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Brian. How you doing? I I'm doing well. Just uh, getting ready, starting to prepare myself uh, mentally uh, for spring turkey season here for some some uh, early morning wake-ups <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's definitely a, a grinding for the diehard anyway it's a it's a grind to get get to the end unless uh unless you get on a hot streak earlier right? <laughs> yeah i don't that seldom seems to happen for me i don't, I don't know about you but uh, yeah yeah I, I pray for those every year so. yeah yeah it seems like i'm always scraping all the way up to the end there trying to yeah. trying to fill that tag yeah. 
uh, now now with the work you do do you get uh do you get much time out to to turkey hunt or are you going to be busy in the field well funny you mentioned that this year i um uh, i typically do get to turkey hunt a good bit and you know kind of being in the industry and a lot of the circles that you you work in you know have you know everybody likes to turkey hunt for the most part so you get an opportunity to kind of build those relationships and spend time you know in the woods and uh so yeah it's a good opportunity to do that but um i guess I, i'm in a stage of life now where i've got three daughters and uh they're into everything <laughs> and so it's just it's just not much you know left in the tank at the end of the day to get up every morning at five o'clock and, <laughs> and it's just it's all i can do to <laughs> get be at work all the time some days so uh but yeah i i love it and it, that's definitely you know the top of my list of uh, activities that i enjoy uh is, is turkey hunting so and i right. I, I like to travel the, the country and turkey hunt so i usually uh try to go somewhere different every year and uh and hunt them in another state somewhere and uh so that's kind of i guess one thing to kind of keep in keep in front of me keep my sights set on to kind of kind of get you through sometimes so oh yeah uh, it's, it's it's a lot of fun I, I enjoy turkey hunting well as the father of a uh i guess a 21 year old and one that's getting ready to be 18 i'll just say enjoy those kids activities <laughs> while, yeah. while you can because uh you know you'll you'll have your time here here eventually uh where you'll, you'll have plenty of time to turkey hunt and you'll be missing some of them uh kids activities so yeah so. absolutely absolutely but hey I, I appreciate you taking time out to come on here and, and talk to us about food plots um this is always kind of a, a hot topic for for our members and and podcast listeners and and website visitors you know they always love that that food plot type content so I know know this episode is going to be well received, and we we hadn't really had an episode yet that that really focused on the the how to of food plots. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to this one as well. Uh, but but before before we start breaking dirt here, though, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and and what you do? Yeah, I work for the Westervelt Company, and uh, we're based in uh, West Central Alabama. We're a large landowner, and primarily manage that land for for timber production and and hunting so uh that's kind of high level you know what the company does but i i grew up in alabama and uh got my undergraduate degree at mississippi state and uh you always had a passion for you know not really uh just hunting deer but but managing deer i was always looking for ways to make my hunting better and uh so that's how i kind of once i found out there was a a career opportunity to to do that as it was just kind of one of those affirming moments in your <laughs> life you know that you know that's that's for me right there so so that's that's what i, I did and then i did uh when i finished there at, at mississippi state and with a wildlife degree i i took a position with dr craig harper at uh university of tennessee and uh we did some research together for a couple of years while i worked on my master's degree I always kid him. We, you know, you kind of start out with a a research project, but you end up. And, and our project was working with, with turkeys and and turkey habitat in the mountains in East Tennessee. And so we're doing a lot of that tur- uh, research on wild turkeys. But I ended up, I probably spent more time 
on side projects, like he's been taking advantage of, you know, cheap labor when <laughs> I was there. And, uh, he was getting the, he was, he was getting the most out of what he had for sure. So we, we worked on tons of food plot projects and just, uh, kind of trying to figure out, you know, what, what deer liked. There's just so much information out there kind of coming on the scene at that time. And, and we were really just trying to, uh, to test a lot of that, you know, what, what species deer liked the most, when they liked it, how do you manage them? How do you manage weeds, uh, weed competition in, in those, uh, plantings and, uh, you know, biologically, what impacts are they having on deer herd? And, you know, what are the practical, you know, steps for things? And so we, we just did a ton of food plot research while I was there. So it was, that was really cool because, you know, I think that's why a lot of people like, or interested, a lot of deer managers are interested in food plots because it's something that you can get out and contribute and get dirt under your fingernails and, and, and work the ground and, and see natural succession and mother nature at work and, and, and see the, the fruit of your labor and, and see deer and turkeys and other species benefit and, and learn from that. And so, and that's why it's just to me so rewarding. So, and I, and I think that's just, you know, a draw for, for that, management practice for people to uh to kind of see you know no you know feel like at least feel like they're having an impact on their deer herd you know that they hunt manage so yeah so yeah that's that's kind of how that came about but anyway fast forward a little bit uh, i took a position with the westerbelt company out of college and um my my primary role early i guess probably the first 10 years or so i i was mostly doing private consulting work so I wasn't really uh, tied to the land, all the land that Westerville owns, but I was I was working with private landowners all over the country, you know, looking at their properties and uh, doing property assessments and evaluations and uh, developing, you know, deer management plans, habitat management plans and uh, food plot uh, plans and all, all that really just kind of uh, working with these landowners, really trying to optimize the value of their property for, for deer or turkeys or waterfowl doves you know whatever you know of course a lot of them are managing for all these species you know just trying to have a a year-round recreational you know experience so so yeah it was got to see a lot of cool properties and do a lot of things that you know just a lot of uh, research experimental things you know the sky was a limit on some of these tracks so it was a pretty cool experience but after you know a decade or so doing that kind of changed some business models and uh started focusing on some different things with the company. So I got more involved with our hunting lease business and our, our land acquisition business. So I do a lot of acquisition work now, uh, buying land for the company, but anyway, still do my own managing deer on, on personal properties and, and what have you. So still in the thick of it. But, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you've done for, for years, they're done a lot of, uh, writing in our magazine, our, our food plot species profiles and, uh, kind of broke down the different, you know, species of, of food plots, seed you could you could plant and how to best plant it and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that's that's why I wanted to to get you on here to to talk about that kind of stuff. And, and today, and specifically about summer food plots or or warm season food plots. So I, I guess let's just kind of kick things off with um, the the reasoning behind summer food plots. Why, why would you want to plant? a summer food plot or a warm season food plot 
as opposed to a, a cool season. You know, the, the biggest thing, Brian, is, uh, you know, you think about, you know, if we're trying to maximize food availability or, you know, if you're just managing your property and you're trying to, trying to improve your deer herd, let's kind of start there, I guess. You want to try to raise the, you know, nutritional care and capacity of your property. You know, obviously, the first thing you want to do is, you, you know, you want to know, what, you know, what's out there. You know, what do I have on my property that deer eat or do I have food on my property in the summertime? Because think about what's going on with deer in the summer. You know, they're, you know, starting, I guess, in this, you know, if you want to back up to spring a little bit, you know, where bucks are, you know, they're, they're, they're in pretty bad shape. Uh, they've been through a rigorous rut breeding seasons over and, uh, in the winter, late winter is a time when there, there's just not a lot of food available on, on across the landscape. You know, acorns have been consumed for the most part. And that's if you had a good acorn crop that year. So, so yeah, so deer, are kind of coming out of a nutritionally stressed period going in the spring and then you get spring green up. And if you've got your property has uh, early successional habitat where, you know, you got, you know, you don't have like closed canopied forest that prevents uh, sunlight from reaching the ground. Uh, spring comes in and you get, you know, an influx of new vegetation kind of gives, uh, gives the deer herd a jump with, with some nutrition a boost anyway and helps them kind of come out of that post rut recovery period. Then they move into the summertime and uh and things are, you know, still okay, but then we got other processes going on with the deer herd that are they're starting to take place in the summertime that's gonna cause some some more stress on deer. That's where, you know, summer food plots come in is if if your property is lacking and with good quality habitat in the summertime, food plots can help kind of bridge the gap during that kind of mid to late summer stress period when does are, uh, you know, dropping fawns, they're lactating, which is a, you know, a very energy expensive time for deer. And that, you know, happens to coincide in many parts of the deer uh, range with uh, kind of, you know, a little bit drier period. You get into you know, August, September, October later in the summer and uh so you've got um you know bucks are growing antlers they're trying to grow and build their bodies get ready for the next breeding season and uh so you've got all these things at play and then you just the natural habitat is starting to get to a stage where maybe it's been on rainfall that summer uh keeping things going you may have a lot of vegetation that's starting to become more steamy less palatable uh, starting to dry up, senescence is coming in, and and so it's just less lower quality vegetation as the summer progresses. Of course, depending on rainfall. Last summer, uh, many areas in the South experienced you know record rainfall. It seemed like you know it's just new growth all the time. So that wasn't an issue for a lot of folks in the South last year. But anyway, summer plantings can be a resource for deer managers to help you know buffer those uh periods when there there's just very when the, the the nutritional quality of the naturally occurring vegetation starts to uh decline and, and things of that nature and still and they, but still provide uh, and, and hold deer on the property with good quality vegetation particularly if uh, if you've got some pretty large areas that can you know produce a lot of tonnage uh, and things of that nature so i know i kind of went 
long and around the <laughs> world on, on that answer, but that's kind of in a nutshell, the value of, of summer plantings. You know, you need to know what deer are experiencing and what they've got available on your property and figure out ways to try to make sure that you, you've got things in place that can benefit them. Yeah, no, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Now can, can summer food plots still kind of be effective for, for hunting strategy as well, or are most of those going to play out before, you know, you actually get into, into deer season? It, it really depends. Uh, that can be a great tool for hunting early season. And again, it just kind of depends on, you know, what state you're in, what, you, when you're, you know, your, what your hunting season framework is, and also kind of where you are geographically in terms of when you might get a frost or something to, to kill those and, and, or to kill, you know, your, your summer plantings. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of depends, but yeah, uh, to answer your question, it can be a great tool to harvest deer in the early season. And, and in my opinion, as I've kind of mentioned in a lot of those, uh, species profiles that I've, that I've uh, written when, when they've been on a summer planting is how valuable they can be from a hunting standpoint. Uh, just because, as I mentioned, during the kind of late summer, early fall period, there's just not a lot of good quality food for deer to eat in a lot of cases. And before acorns start falling, uh, man, there's just there those food those summer plots can be a magnet for deer. I mean, they just come into you just find those trails and they're coming to them every day as long as they're not being pressured too much. So, and it's also you know you mentioned pressure. It's also a vulnerable time for them because there just hadn't been a whole lot of pressure on them up to this point. So they're, you know, coming out a little more in the daytime and, you know, providing, you know, harvest opportunities for, for hunters. So they're great, you know, great places to get pictures of deer and also pattern those deer that are coming to them regularly. So, yeah, it's a great, great hunting tool. And I actually, I, I, and we may get on it, but, you know, I, I think people overlook planting summer crops in the fall to for, for hunting in their fall plots because in many in many areas and we hadn't really started talking about species yet but like something that's you know very highly attractive like soybeans at a young stage there's nothing wrong with putting soybeans in your fall planting mixture uh, for early season growth because it's going to germinate quickly temperatures are still kind of relatively high and you can go in, and, and everybody knows how attractive soybeans are early on. If you can go in and sweeten up your fall plot with a summer forage, it's, it can be a, a really good situation until your 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 fall crops start emerging and coming in. So, and so, in the soybeans are going to be gone, depending on where you are. Say in Alabama or Georgia, you, you may not get a frost, in, in at least in the central or lower half of those states. You know, it may be uh, late November, you know, first of December. So you may have a couple months of, of growing season for a soybean. You know, they're, they're probably going to eat them all up <laughs> by then. But, hey, that's the point, right? right trying yeah. to get them on the food plot. So, And and they're cheap. You know, I'm just talking about, I'm not talking about a, an expensive, improved variety. I'm just talking about, a you know, your cheap run-of-the-mill soybean that you can, you know, drop in your spreader or drill, you know, so. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's a good transition into, you know, some of these summer food plot species. And so I guess if you would just kind of, uh, you know, obviously we we're, we don't have to touch on on every option 
out there, but if you could just kind of touch on some of the, the, I guess, more popular summer food plot species and just kind of, as you're doing so, just there maybe the, the strengths and weaknesses of each of those. Yeah. In most cases, when I'm trying to figure out what do we want to plant here, I guess, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, kind of, kind of depends on a couple of things uh, that we might want to consider is, you know, what's available, what's the habitat quality like on a property during the summertime. Two, are there hunting season considerations? Uh, are there deer density considerations? Are, you know, food plot size, acreage devoted to food plots on a property? All those things kind of come in play, you know, when you're trying to develop a, a strategy to try to put yourself in a position to be successful with it. But I typically, you know, my checklist, I kind of start out with, with soybeans. Just because uh, for a variety of reasons, one, they're some, you know, some of the most preferred species, you know, it's one of the most preferred species for sure in terms of preference. Two, they do well in a variety of soil types. Uh, They're very adaptable. Uh, There's lots of varieties of soybeans, you know, in different maturity groups. Three, there are options available for weed control purposes, you know, as far as Roundup ready. Uh, I think so. There's there's a lot of flexibility with soybeans, management flexibility. And uh, so I typically will start there because if I can find that work, it, it can kind of make things a little easier because they, you know, they produce about as much forage uh, depending on the variety you use, but they can produce about as much forage uh, as anything available uh, in the summertime. They can produce grain that is highly attractive in the winter time and even spring, depending on the deer density and how how much deer are using them. So yeah, lots of lots of options with soybeans. <clears throat> so that's I typically will start there. The next question you have to ask is, are my fields large enough to to grow soybeans because of the uh, susceptibility to overgrazing? As you know, many folks uh, have experienced. If food plots are are relatively small, you know, I would say you know, less than a couple of acres, uh, depending on food availability on the properties or nearby areas, you know, they're, you're probably not going to have much success with them. They just have a tendency to be overgrazed. Then you're, the reason you, whole reason you planted them is kind of gone out the windows. So that's the next question, you know, you kind of want your next filter is, do I have enough acres to plant them on? And, uh, you know, how large are my fields? So, and then your, your weed management considerations, as I mentioned, you know, you got some options there depending on, and, and again, that that's going to require you to have a little bit of, of past history with the property, you know, as far as, you know, kind of knowing what, what are your weed problems that you may encounter on your property in the summertime. Have, having that knowledge about your property is going to help you come up with a decision matrix uh, on, on kind of what, what direction to go there. While we're talking about soybeans, and you'd mentioned the 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 possible overgrazing and and the food plot size, do you know? I know there there's now a lot of, of forage varieties on the market that are kind of targeted for planting for deer. Do any of those kind of compensate for that need to have a larger field, or, or is, are they going to get eaten down? You know, regardless of what what variety you're planting. 
Yeah, I, I think there are some, you know, some of those improved varieties have shown an ability to uh, to tolerate heavy grazing pressure a little better. Um, but uh, most of the time during that critical stage when they're, you know, less than a, a foot tall, if you've just got, you know, a high deer density and you're planting them on a half acre field, uh, even an acre field in many cases, depending on when you plant them, of course, there's some other considerations you may, you know, say if you plant them early, really early when there's, and you have a good spring green up, it's got, you know, things going, you may have some big clear cuts on your property or whatever. So, or, or burned, uh, thin and burned pine plantations, or if you've got good habitat and you, you can plant them early, you may get away with, even if you have a lot of deer, you may get away with being able to plant smaller fields of a, a forage variety soybean because that can kind of help buffer the impact of grazing pressure uh, early on. And it's, you know, I've had pretty good success in many cases using a repellent uh, like a malorganite uh, yeah. on, on those situations. I've even had, you know, we've even had to use it on in areas that have just a lot of deer and even in bigger fields, you know, three, four or five acre food plots that are planted in soybeans. And, and had to use malorganite and, and seen it work fairly well. Um, now, now so, for those for those who might not be familiar with that, can you talk about what malorganite is? And are yeah. you applying that to the entire field, or are you applying it just around the edge, or how, how are you using that to, to kind of <clears throat> keep the deer at bay? Yeah, um, we typically apply it to the entire field. It's a basically a a human waste byproduct, and uh, a lot of you know, a lot of people have used it, just didn't realize kind of what it was. You can, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can, you can buy it at, uh, in bags now at Lowe's and Home Depot and, you know, other farm supply places. So uh, people kind of use it. It's got some uh, nutritive value as well, a small amount. It, it doesn't smell like what you think it would, but uh, it, it does have a, a smell to it that, that has a tendency to, uh, to repel deer and in many cases we've seen it kind of work like clockwork it, it gives you it gives you about a month uh even in areas that have a lot of deer a high deer population so we've been able to kind of delay that early grazing effect on soybeans by using the malorganite at about 250 pounds per acre just applying it in bulk like you would you know, fertilizer with a fertilizer buggy and uh, so it it's it's helped. Okay. It gives you, you know, in, in that month is kind of that most uh, sensitive time, you know, for soybeans. And uh, and then by then you kind of reach soybeans have kind of reached canopy closer, and it's kind of starting to shade out some of the weeds that are trying to come in. And if they can do that, if you can kind of keep the deer off of them a little bit, kind of let them reach that canopy closure, it's going to help you with your weed problems a little bit too. Because, you know, when they're, if they're being overgrazed, that sunlight's just rain, you know, it's just constantly hitting the ground. And it's going to you know, cause, you know, weed germination throughout the summer. So, but if you can kind of get that shade effect going, it can kind of help you there as well. But yeah, we put it out across the entire field is, is the way we, we've always done it. Okay. So. Once you have the soybeans established, they, they can handle that grazing pressure a little better than, than, yeah. than when they're getting established, I guess. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Once you once you get them up and and they start bushing out, 
you got a much better chance that they're going they're going to be able to make it. What about kind of similar legumes like cow peas and and lab lab? Where, where do they kind of fit in and compare to soybeans? I really like those species. They're they're probably you know my next option that I go to if I if I can't figure out a strategy for soybeans or if it's just kind of too much candy for a dime uh, trying to trying to make something work there. Uh, I'll generally go to you know a cow pea lab lab mixture or a cow pea uh, singular plot. Those are two really good species that are also you know they're they're real similar to soybeans. They're just typically not as um, they're just not usually browsed as early on as soybeans you know as heavily uh, as soybeans are. So, uh, but there's you know lots of lots of benefits for for those species too because deer like them a lot they're highly preferred they produce a ton of forage uh you know right there with soybeans they produce their own nitrogen like soybeans so you know high in protein one thing i would say about the cow peas is they're determinate in in nature and which means they have a set number of growing days so uh they're typically you know depending on when you plant them they're going to kind of fade out at some point during the late summer, or early fall. That's why I always include uh, Lab Lab with the mixture. You know, I always try to mix those together because Lab Lab has more indeterminate growth, where they can they can, can they're going to continue to produce vegetation and forage until you, know, you get a good frost. So it's going to you know it's going to extend the life of your food plot past when cow peas are, are capable of, of doing that. So uh, I generally will try to mix those two. And they're very compatible. They you, you can pretty much use the same herbicides with them. A lot of times we'll mix in, you know, because they're viney and, they, you know, viney and growth in their nature. And uh, a lot of times we'll mix in like some peridovic sunflowers or something uh, with them to give them some, some structure to climb on. It doesn't take much, you know, usually about, you know, four or five pounds per acre if you're broadcasting, you know, mix in some sunflowers to give you some structure for those viney legumes to get up on and get higher. I kind of had to reach a deer and then kind of start drooping down and hanging down and, and producing more forage and more stems and, and all that. So kind of like looks like a, a big kudzu patch by, <laughs> you know, August. So, so yeah, those are, those are really good species. And with that mixture, uh, say cow peas, lab lab, and some sunflowers in there, and you don't have to include the sunflowers, but but you can spray. Uh, you know, most of the time in the summer, your weed competition is from grasses. You know, you got Johnson grass or crabgrass or what have you. And being that you know this mixture is all broadleaf species, we can spray you know virtually any grass selective herbicide and be safe. You know, if we have any issues with grass competition trying to take over the plot, so. You know, Clethodem is a, a great one uh, that uh, about 12 ounces of the acre usually does a trick or post or, you know, other grass-selective herbicides that you may have in your area. But, yeah, that you can use those. But, you know, the easiest easiest thing to do uh, in many cases is, is you can use uh, do a pre-emergence application with those species, the Calpase Lab Lab and sunflowers. You can use Prowl and do a pre-emerge application. You would spray that while you're there planting. 
you're already at the food plot, go ahead and spray it real quick uh, on top of the dirt. And 90% of the time, you really, you know, probably won't have any follow-up needs to, to spray weeds in the food plot. Uh, it, it usually gives you enough time for those plants to get well-established and kind of canopy closure to occur and kind of start shading out a lot of weed competition. So that's a great option for that that mixture is is just you doing a pre-emerge application with Peral. So, yeah, so that's a those species are, are are really good ones that we use a lot of and they're they're great bow hunting locations too now i guess what would make you choose that cowpea lab lab mix over hey i'm just <clears> going <throat> to go in and plant plant soybeans here well here here's one thing i guess i would try to i would say as i mentioned it would be the the deer density and browsing pressure effect you know that's probably number one is do i think my fields are large enough to plant uh, soybeans in and 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 I still have forage left in mid to late summer so that would be one one reason I would I would consider planting so uh, cow peas and lab lab mixture uh, the other thing is 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 uh, I, I mentioned a little bit about knowing your weed history on the place you know what weeds give you mo- the most trouble you know, though, all these species we've been talking about, Brian, are, are legumes. So if we've got some weeds that typically come up and give us trouble in the summertime uh, that are legumes, such as uh, you know, coffee weed or sesbania or some of those species that can give us problems, I may, I may try to go to, uh, and because you've got a legume weed growing in a legume plot, uh, you're going to have a hard time finding a an herbicide that's going to kill one and not the other, uh, and and you know coffee weed can and it can be a huge problem uh, in taking over summer plantings. What I might do there is kind of what I mentioned earlier. I might go. I might try to go with the soybean because I have a, a Roundup Ready option at my disposal that I can. That's not going to harm my soybeans, but I can kill coffee weed. So that would be you know. Having, you know, those would be some reasons to consider, you know, one strategy over another, you know, why you might, you know, go a certain direction. Yeah, that makes sense. What about uh, American joint veg? That, that's one. We actually just shared an article today on our website about it. And I know you've written an article uh, for our, our magazine and website in the past on it. What are some pros and cons to using it as, as a summer forage? Yeah, I like American joint veg. And I usually uh, I usually like to plant it in combination with uh, Alice clover in the summertime. I that's the the American joint veg Alice clover, and I'll usually mix in a, a little cowpea, uh, give it a little early boost. Uh, the joint veg is good, man. You can you can really use it, and uh, it it reseeds itself really well. You can kind of naturally if you get a good stand of it and good seed production uh, in the fall. You can go in there and prepare that plot the next summer, clean it up, fertilize it, and it, it can come right back and have a you know excellent stand. So it, it's it's kind of a an option, kind of a reseeding option with less uh, less maintenance, I would say on it. It's uh it's it's probably not as a preferred forage as uh, you know soybeans or cowpeas or lab lab, but certainly deer deer like it. And they they'll they'll eat it. I would say one knock against it 
is uh, that it's pretty slow to establish. And uh, so you may miss, you know, some of the early, early summer uh, opportunities to get, you know, uh, good forage into the deer herd. That also has some uh, considerations too with weed uh, management problems. So if you're, if you've got a slow to establish forage, you're, you're probably going to have, you're, you're given weeds uh, opportunity to get established during that time uh, when you're waiting on your uh, joint bitch and, and palace clover to come in. Uh, that would be one thing to consider, kind of keep an eye on, make sure you, you kind of monitor that to you'd be ready to spray some grass weeds and drop some grass or whatever early on until that gets really well established. But yeah, it can produce a ton of forage, man. That joint bench, is, it can get five feet tall. <laughs> so it, it's it's a cool plant. And actually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's probably one of the only uh, native species that are used, you know, native to the United States as a as a forage. You know, it's a, a common you know forage for deer. But what I what I like about it too, Brian, is uh, that you know that and the, the Alice clover that I mentioned. You can no-till top-sow those species. What I mean by that is uh, you don't have to go in and uh, disc the the, uh, the fields up or plow or, or whatever. You don't have to have a drill. Uh, you can go in, you know, small. If you've got small food plots, it's great for, for that. Those kind of hard-to-reach areas, you might not be able to get equipment in and go in and uh, with a, a small buggy sprayer, uh, go in and, and, you know, spray spray the feet, clean it up. And uh, a couple of weeks later, you can just top sow it on top of the ground. Once that, you know, vegetation, dead vegetation starts to kind of melt down, go in there and top sow it and the rain will kind of work it in and that's, and, you know, just put some fertilizer on it and it's ready to rock and roll. So it's kind of, I guess I would say it would be a, a good low maintenance option. Wouldn't require you to have a whole lot of equipment, uh, just a, you know, small, small sprayer. A bag of seed. That's about all you need. It's a uh, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool forage. That it is a little more expensive than some of the other yep. options, isn't it? It is. Yeah. But if you want to calculate, if you're able to regenerate it for several years, you, you know you can kind of you can calculate what it costs you that way. So it it it's uh you know has a way of kind of spreading out that cost over time. Now, one thing you know, obviously you're in the you're in the south here. I'm in the south. Are, are the options that we've talked about here so far, will those all work, you know, in the North or Midwest as well, or some of those mm-hmm. more Southern specific? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you're just going to adjust your planting dates a little bit, you know, generally a month or two in the South or we may be a month or two earlier in the summer that we could plant, but we're, you know, in the North, as far as the, since we're talking just about summer forages. Yeah. I mean, the North, Northern states, they may may just you know plant theirs a little bit later, uh, wait for those soil temperatures to come back up. And, but you know one thing you know that you might you know do differently if say you're planting soybeans, you know in the the north typically the late summer stress period that we have here in the south is typically not as big of an issue in the north just because we don't just don't typically have those long extended periods of heat stress and drought a lot of times it just kind of depends on where you're at but you might if you're planting you know if you plant soybeans in the north you might want to plant you know some that was in a different maturity group that would be 
that would help you uh, help the beans mature a little quicker and produce grain that you might want to hunt over in the wintertime. You might want to, you know, kind of shorten that window a little bit and uh, kind of be strategic about what, what variety of soybean that you plant to where you can make sure you got, you know, you got standing beans during the wintertime, you know, maybe during the snow or whatever. Whereas in the south, you may want to have, you know, a later maturing bean to where you're going to kind of keep that, kind of keep pushing, pushing that, that stand until, you know, as late as you can to where uh, you're kind of filling that gap in that late summer stress period. Uh, you're not, you're not quite as concerned about trying to get seed to mature, uh, to have available. Uh, you, you're just trying, you're mainly trying to focus on providing that good forage during the August, September and October. So that'd be, you know, some some minor differences, but overall, in terms of being able to successfully plant these species, you know, pretty much any will be fine. Any other, I guess, species that we haven't discussed that that you might recommend for a a summer food plot? I, I would say uh, no. The, these are the main ones that we typically use. You know, there there are other species that we've planted and uh, worked with. You know, things like uh, sun hemp or buckwheat, you know, some of those. There, there may be a, I don't guess I've probably ever recommended anybody, you know, to plant sun hemp. Not saying there's not benefit uh, for it, but, um, or not, or, or situation for it. We mostly kind of used it as a screening cover, you know, to try to screen uh, hunters or, you know, edges of food plots or whatnot, you know, to try to help uh, conceal hunters that are, entering and leaving uh, stands and whatnot to try to prevent or minimize pressure on the deer in food plots. You know, deer certainly like sun hemp, but it usually, it's almost like they have to discover it. You know, like there's, you know, been some other, like uh, maybe with brassicas in, in some cases, but we planted it. We just had mixed results with sun hemp on different properties and different deer densities. And I, I mean, we planted on places that, have a ton of deer and they never touched it but then the next year we planted on the same property and they you know just they whacked uh, waxed it so it's results are kind of been all over the board but buckwheat's a, a pretty good forage uh it, it it's uh pretty resilient um grows really quick uh so it may you may could mix in some buckwheat with uh maybe some soybeans to kind of buffer against some early grazing pressure there maybe they'll hit the buckwheat while while your soybeans are kind of trying to come up, but but yeah, there I can't really think of any other species that you know we would plant in the summertime that it, it's generally either going to be soybeans or cowpeas or lab lab or uh, joint vetch or or Alice clover. You know, those are kind of the 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 big ones that you know we've we've got a lot of options to work with there. They kind of we can kind of find a, a situation for each of those, you know, so. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. You pretty much touched on everything. I just kind of jotted down in my notes. I guess the, the one I had down, do, do you ever plant sorghum for any reason for as far as for deer? I have, but generally when, when I'm planting summer plots for deer, I'm trying to get high protein food for them during the summer. You know, when planting uh, sorghum, it would be more, it'd be kind of like corn. You know, you plant it summertime, but it's, you know, late summer, early fall before, you know, deer are starting to use it. 
right um getting getting the food value from it so so yeah i i planted sorghum and and uh you know deer certainly you know eat the seed heads off of it uh, very well lots of different varieties and options there depending on you know the the tannin levels and what have you but um but yeah it's it's a really good screening cover uh as well you know planting food plot edges and kind of creating a an edge with that helps screen hunters and whatnot provide a little transition there uh but i I don't plan it a lot for for deer you know specifically to feed deer with it as far as i guess the location of these these summer plots do you recommend having separate areas set aside for the for the summer plots versus where you're going to plant you know your cool season plots or can you you know, basically kind of, I guess, double crop the, the same areas with, with some of these. In an ideal situation, you would have separate areas devoted uh, to them because there's always, when you're planting, you know, an indeterminate variety of soybeans um, or lab lab or or you've got, a, you know, joint vetch or something that's going to just keep growing till later in the fall. You know, if you go in and, you start prepping your fall plots in say August or you know early September, you're going to kind of clean the plate, you know, so to speak. You're going to, you know, you're going to disrupt, you know, your summer planting and the value that it's providing. So uh, that would certainly, and, and that's not always the case, you know. People, you know, it just uh, particularly if uh, you know you just don't have the acreage on your property to devote to that, or the budget, or or you lease land. From a private individual or a timber company that you know is only going to you know they they may have a a primary objective of growing timber and any any acre not in timber productions taken away from from that so there's always a balance there and uh, so uh, you may not have as many big food plots in that scenario so you you may just have to plant what you work with but uh, work what you got but there are some strategies that you can use in selecting your fall crops to allow you to double crop uh, without, with, with minimal impact there um, in terms of kind of, you know, clearing the plate off until your fall plantings emerge and start providing a respectable amount of forage. You could go in, you know, a lot of times in the fall, you could go in, if you've, say for example, you've, you've had a, a good stand of soybeans or cowpeas, and you've kept it clean, you know, clean, you got weed free. So you, you've had a good canopy uh, over it and it's kind of protected, you know, the, the ground. So you got bare soil up underneath it. And then a lot of times when in the fall, deer will wipe those fields out pretty quickly uh, just because food availability gets low. So they'll go, they'll smoke those fields pretty quick. And uh, so then you've got just a bunch of kind of, you just, it's real stemmy out there, not a lot of. Uh, biomass in terms of the amount of vegetation and then you still got now you've got that bare ground exposed so that that would be the time to go in if you've got a seed drill and just drill through your summer crop just drill it into it or top sow it you know you can go in there and top sow it right before rain you know your cereal grains and and annual clovers you know crimson or balanza or frosty bursine you know something that's going to do really well in that situation and go in there top. So in that way, you know, you, and you still got some, 
green leaves trying to shoot at you get a, a rain and a few more little small leaves uh, come off your uh, your summer planting so that way you're kind of keeping that food source there and then uh, doing the same when it's time to plant your summer crops so if you've got say you plant in the fall you plant your wheat uh, you plant your wheat and annual clovers together in your summer plot well when say March or April comes around you kind of get ready to think about planting uh, summer crops those species say wheat and crimson clover wheat and balanza you know th- those balanzas depending on where you are geographically uh balanza and bursley frosty bursley they're going to be kind of fading out around may but they're producing really good forage in may so then you go in and you get ready to you just drill your summer crop into that if you've got access to a seed drill you can and, and you kind of time it when about the time it's going your clover is in wheat and stuff's going to start fading out and then you just drill your your summer crop into that and then it all your fall crop dies out well now you've got some exposure to the ground and then uh your summer crop emerges so you're kind of you're essentially double cropping but you're using species that are uh that work well together uh, timing wise and the maturation rate to where you can minimize that that gap of ha- not having food available in the food plot right so that makes sense yeah yeah absolutely all right let, let's talk a little bit about the actual food plot i guess preparation i won't have you dive into soil testing and stuff i mean i feel like anybody who's planting a food plot hopefully by this point <laughs> knows yeah. that they should you know, do a soil test and apply lime and fertilizer accordingly. Um, it pretty much has been written about in every article ever printed mm-hmm. on food plots, but yeah. still, still seems to get skipped a lot. But it, it does. It, it's amazing, you know, that little step and how critical it is, how it gets overlooked. But I will mention one thing. I know, I know you said we're not going to dive off into that, but one thing that I would say yeah. to think about is even though it's talked about all the time is when you're doing a soil sample is put the species that you're planting on your bag. Cause it, I mean, it never fails. People send me their soil test results. They'll email it to me. And for the species, it says wildlife plot. <laughs> you know, what, what does that mean? The soil testing lab is going to give you a recommendation based off of the species that's going to be grown there. So, uh, if it's just wildlife plot, they they don't really have any idea of what uh you know what you're going to be planting. Are you going to be planting corn or soybeans or cereal grains or clover, or whatever? You just need to you know be specific on what you plan on planting. That way, they can give you a recommendation for that specific species. I, I guess just wanted to plug that. Uh, yeah. So uh, before we move on, well, guess- anyway. I guess while we are on the topic, uh, <laughs> yeah, can, can you talk about, because I think a lot of people don't realize the, that the pH side of it impacts the effectiveness of the fertilizer side of it. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily do any good to go out there and apply the fertilizer if you don't have the pH right. Can you kind of talk about yeah. why that is? Yeah, and without getting into the chemistry and all that, making it real technical, but there's some real practical, easy things to remember when it comes to uh, liming and fertilizing. Liming is uh, as far as how we address the pH. 
Uh, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. But uh, so if the pH is very low, the species that you're planting there are not going to be getting the nutrients that are not only the nutrients that you put out through fertilizer, but also the ones that are already available in the soil simply because of the uh, reactions uh, of, of those ions so in the soils. So what uh, you need to make sure uh, that what we need to make sure we're doing is, is maintaining a fairly neutral pH. Uh, that way, one, the nutrients that are already in the soil can be released for plant uptake. So that's number one. Two, it needs, we need to maintain a neutral pH so the nutrients that you put out are available through fertilizer are available for plant uptake. Because if not, much of the many of the nutrients, you know, that much of the fertilizer that's put out uh, will not be available for plant uptake, and it's just wasted in the soil. So uh, that's just an important thing to remember: is maintaining a neutral pH through liming if needed. That way, uh, the plants can. Uh, extract the benefit from the nutrients that you're putting out through fertilizer. And, and when when should the the fertilizer and lime when, when should that be incorporated or should it be incorporated into the soil prior to planting or can you just simply you know broadcast it on top of the ground or how do, how do you need to apply the lime and fertilizer how and when I guess yeah lime would be any time any time of year is is perfectly fine uh, it, depending you know it, it's it's going to take a little while before it really starts kind of break down at a level where it starts kind of pulling the pH up. So there is a delay there. It's typically done in conjunction with other management activities while you're going to be on the property doing things. Uh, so it's typically done that way. You can just put it out either on top of the ground. Say if you, if you don't disc all your fields and you do either, you know, no-till drilling or no-till top sowing uh you just put it on top of the ground uh and it'll work itself in eventually and uh start changing the ph uh if you do uh disc your fields and and prepare them that way it would it would be best to to put it out and then incorporate it into the soil it would start uh, working quicker that way so that would be good but but like i said it it really doesn't matter uh the the main thing is just getting it you know, getting lime on the fields if they need it. Right. Uh, and as far, as far as the fertilizer, you would typically put it out when you plant or shortly thereafter because it uh, you may lose some of it, particularly nitrogen, to the atmosphere. If it's just sitting on top of the ground, if you like the same situation with lime and depending on when you, if you don't prepare the fields with you know, equipment, you would just put fertilizer on top of the ground after you drill or top sow the, your, your seed. And then a lot of times, you know, you may come back, say if you got uh, cereal grains or something, you may want to come back with some uh, nitrogen about 60 days later or so and top dress it with just some nitrogen uh, to give it a boost. Uh, and a lot of people will do that, you know, kind of halfway through deer season, you know, try to make their, you know, give their food plots a shot in the arm and kind of get them get them going kind of through the end of the season and kind of sweeten them up a little bit, make them a little more attractive there right before the rut or depending on when the rut is in the area you hunt. A little bit, it could be a little bit of difference there, but you could, you know, certainly if you're putting out lime when you're planting, 
food plots, you could put it all, you know, put your lime out and your fertilizer and seed out on the same day. As far as, okay, the, let's talk about the actual planting process. Uh, obviously, you know, any of these forages were talked about, you know, could be planted traditional tillage, um, as well as with a no-till drill. But what about, and you've talked about this some, mentioned it uh, specifically on the American Joint Veg, but with, with these larger seeded stuff like soybeans and cowpeas, can you do a throw-and-grow type situation where you're just broadcasting it on top of the ground? Will, will that be effective? You'll get some germination that way, but it, it'll be, it, I, I wouldn't recommend it. I, I would recommend, you know, on those large seeds, uh, I would recommend getting them into the ground where those uh, roots can get going established and won't get pulled up when a deer, you know, grabs the leaves. Or, you know, if you're just throwing those on top of the ground, you're going to have minimal success doing that. So, yeah, on the on those, I would, you know, I would try to lightly disc them in. Um, if you're doing conventional tillage or, you know, drill them in about an inch or two when you're, if you're drilling. So, yeah. That was, I guess that was a, one of the main benefits of having a joint vetch or Alice Clover. You know, they're, they're great for top sowing opportunities and not, not a lot of those, not a lot of summer options for doing that. Like there are fall options, uh, for, for top sowing. How, how important, if you're doing conventional tillage, how important is a, a cultipacker? It seems like that's a, a tool often overlooked by food plotters. You know, they'll, uh, they'll get the, the equipment, uh, to broadcast and to spray and, and that, but a, a lot of them don't, uh, don't splurge for a cultipacker. How, yeah, how that, critical it, is it? it? It's, um, I, I would say it's probably a little more critical for, uh, fall planting, small seeds, uh, clovers and chicory and you know, brassicas and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and just kind of helping firm up that seed bed, you know, when you're disking, it just depends on how fine, how much time you spend, you know, cultivating the field uh, and, and the seed bed that you get. So, uh, you, you know, you get typically you might have some deep furrows in it and air pockets in the soil that, you know, starts to settle and stuff. And so, yeah, having a good culture packer can kind of firm that up, get good seed to soil contact that we always harp on and for, for good germination. So, yeah, it's a it's a great tool and they're, they're cheap and uh, really kind of smooth out the field. And you know, give it a good chance of you know getting the best out of it. Yeah, I know. Just just anecdotally, one of the well, it was the first food plot I ever planted on a on a private property of my own. This years ago, but it was it was brassicas, and you know, we had done conventional tillage and tilled it up and broadcast. Didn't have any kind of cult packer. Didn't didn't even really think about it. But we had run over back and forth over it with the ATV. I, it, it surprised me. You know, few within a a few weeks later, a couple of weeks later, you know, the, the first places those, those seeds were, were popping up was, was in the tracks of that track, track. Oh yeah. Yeah. This so really did, y'all, did y'all do it uh, before you planted as well or, or at, just after you planted it, you just kind of rode over it a bunch. Well, we used, uh, I believe we used the ATV with the little broadcaster on it to, to broadcast the seed. And then afterwards we just was kind of running back and forth. With the ATV you. itself, because again, we we didn't have a, a cult packer or anything, <laughs> anything yeah. remotely yeah. close. So, yeah, on yeah. small plots, you know, I was you know doing the same thing, just running over it with truck tires. You know, it takes a while, but 
you know, it's a good way to pack that soil down, especially if it's real loose soil. That was one thing I would say, you know, there's some, some areas that's got, you know, a, a heavy, um, well, a loam or, or got a lot of sand in it that it, when, when you disc it up, you know, repeatedly, it just becomes like a powder. Right. And, yeah. uh, so just being able to kind of pack that down good with a culture packer kind of firm, just, just firms that up and kind of mashes it down and kind of gets it like it needs to be, you know, before you put seed on it. So make sure it doesn't get too deep and all that. So definitely something to think about. Well, Ryan, I've, uh, man, I've had y'all on here for, for over an hour now. Uh, definitely, definitely enjoyed it and, and learned, learned a lot myself, but, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate your time on here today talking to us about, about food plots. Well, thanks for having me, Brian. It's always a fun, uh, subject and kind of gets me, gets my juices going for, <laughs> you know, what we're going to do this summer. So I'm glad it's good time and kind of get things going. So it's, yeah. it's already, it's upon us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be planting time here before you know it. So yeah, uh, yeah. I think this, this will be timely and, and hopefully some folks will uh, get some, well, I know they'll, they'll get some good information out of it. So sounds good, man. Appreciate it. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Ryan Basinger. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, and, and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Uh, or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the, the podcasting charts and be more visible to uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website again at DeerAssociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Hey, you can become a member. And don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show to get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free NDA hat. So be sure to take advantage of that. And, uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website, covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, if it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends. <laughs>